Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Uh, Pastor Steve allows this opportunity for us to come before you, and I don't take it lightly, so I really appreciate the privilege of being able to talk with you in the Word of God. My hope is that you will always find something that you can use and begin to grow in, and Pastor's been talking about grow for the last few weeks or so, right? And last week he talked about grow again. Anybody remember what he talked about? You don't have to say anything. Don't put you on the spot. But he talked about uh, the suckers in teaching, right, that can take from our lives. And Pastor Brett talked a couple of weeks ago about pruning, right? Because that one was always a scary one for me. God, what are you about to cut off for me, right? right? So I want to continue in the thought of growth, but because it's the Christmas season too, I have no idea how I'm going to connect it, but I hope it can connect to the fact that you and I are about to celebrate Christmas, Okay. Pastor Brett just mentioned a scripture in Isaiah where there was an announcement that the Lord was coming, right? And of course, in the New Testament, we know that Jesus was born in the manger. The angel said, it's happened, right? It's already happened. And I was thinking as Brett was talking about the, the name of Jesus, what makes it so powerful? I mean, because I sit in church a lot thinking when people would say that, and I just go along with them because they said it was powerful. I went, okay, it's powerful then. I don't really know why it's powerful or what that means, But as I was thinking, uh, in line with what we'll talk about today, it's because it gives you access. That's one reason it's powerful. It gives you access. You and I have access, if you're not already a Christian, to the kingdom of God. And I know that don't make a whole lot of sense. We've been talking about the kingdom on Wednesdays, about the kingdom of God and what it is and what it's about. And I want to read a couple of scriptures to get us started today and then continue some of this conversation, if you don't mind. There's a scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 we want to read a little bit. And then I want to read a little with you in the book of John chapter 17, if you have it on your devices or however you get to the Bible. If you have it, read it with me. Now, I appreciate it if you wouldn't mind. We're going to read it. It's on the screen here, the part that I want to pay attention to. So if we read it, I'm reading from a different version. Yours might not sound the same, but the focus point is on the screen here today, okay? So if you find 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, you got it? All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 12. It says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. The thought I want to talk about today is grow in love. Grow in love. And I I was asking myself, does love grow? How does love grow? What do you mean grow in love? Grow in it or grow in it? What does that mean? But the command is pretty clear, right? That Paul is saying, I want you to grow in love. Now go with me to John chapter 17, and we're going to read verse uh, 16, if you will. There, 17 and 16. It's a pretty simple statement. They are not in the world. That's the primary point I want to make in that scripture. Who is the they? Believers. If you're a believer, it says you're not in the world. They are not in the world. Is that what you are saying? Even as I am not in the world. Okay? Now I want to look at John, again in John, chapter 13. And we want to look at verse 34 and 35. 
I want to see these scriptures so I can base the conversation we're going to have today off of them so you can have some references. Is that okay? Yes. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Now, I want to do this a little different. I want to ask someone in the audience to read it for me. Okay? Please stand. Go ahead. When you found it, read it for me. A new commandment I'm giving to you, that you love one another the way that I have loved you. You also love one another. Thank you very much. First of all, this is a command. And I had to say to myself, I hadn't really thought about how I carry this out. I haven't even thought about whether or not I carry it out. I think about whether or not I pray. I think about whether or not I come to church or pay my tithes. But have I really thought about if I am really loving? Am I obeying the command to love. The verse says, the model of the love is the way he loves me. I would say it's not just a model, it's a response. When he has loved me, it should be an automatic thing that I love others in that way. He also says, this, this love, should be a very obvious thing to people who see me. It should be an identifier that I belong to him. Did you see that? Everybody else see that? The question came to my mind was, what distinguishes my love as a believer from everyone else who's not a believer? This is Christmas. People are going to give gifts. It's the season of love and giving. But everyone looks like mine. Other people giving on the street, dropping in the bucket as they go into Safeway, look just like mine. Other folk caring for the homeless looks like mine. Being nice to a neighbor, taking him a pumpkin pie looks just like when I did it. What distinguishes mine from theirs? You ever thought about it? Or do we just go about loving or our best definition of it? My challenge today is, hey, let's think about it. I think you'd probably have to be pretty deliberate at first, at least, to get it right. What do you think? I don't think you can automatically just love this way the way he's saying, and we'll get into a little bit of that, without actually practicing it. What do you think? Let me ask a question. Uh, let me pick on somebody. Brother Al, where are you from? California. Chris, where are you from? Here? Washington. Where are you from? Yes, sir. Shelton. Very good. Where are you from? Shoreline. What's your name? Christian from Shoreline. Brett, where are your family from? Alaska. Cindy, where are you from? Texas. 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 Mark, where are you from? What? Texas. Miss <laughs> Carol, where are you from? You're from Tacoma, Washington. Anybody born in another country? Born in where? Japan. Y'all know my friend over here? Where are you from? Liberia. Liberia. I noticed something uh, uh, when I was on the plane. People asked me, I was just come from Denver, and when I get into Denver, people always ask, one of the questions they ask is, where are you from? And we tell them, of course, I couldn't say Lacey because nobody knows that, right? It just says Seattle, right? And I noticed there was people from everywhere at our convention. And we know that where you're from can be heard or known because there are characteristics that distinguish people as to where they're from. Is that true? Now, you can't tell just by looking all the time. But what's one of the biggest identifiers of where a person is from? Dress, accent, talk, what else? Body language, attitudes, 
the way they say Texas, the way they say Puyallup, 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 the way they talk is the biggest one. The way they, yeah, the way they pronounce these towns, names. If you look at it and think about it, the way a person talks is the biggest identifier of where they're from. John, in John, Jesus says, you are from heaven. I want to look at a couple of scriptures about the kingdom of God. If you put that next slide up for me, I want to show you something, okay? We've been talking on Wednesdays about what the kingdom of God is. I want to show you what the scripture says it is. So if you look at these scriptures, Philippians 3 and 20 says, I put a little bit on the wall enough for you to think about, but our citizenship is where? Heaven. If you are a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven. You're not just a Christian. You're a citizen of another country. Well, hold on, Tony. You called it a country. Hebrews eleven sixteen. They are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. You and I, when we meet Jesus and the end comes, we're moving to our country. We're looking for a country. We belong to another country. You are citizens of another country. Does that make any sense so far? I could be confusing you too, and that's okay. But the Bible says that. What does that last one say? Ephesians 2 and 19. They're up here so you can read them whenever you're ready. You are fellow with we are citizens, everyone who's a believer is a citizen of the kingdom of God, which is a country, along with all the other believers who are fellow citizens. You with me so far? One of the most distinguishing factors about a believer or a person from another country is how they talk, how they act, their traditions, the way they dress. As a Christian, Maybe we've been trying to distinguish ourselves with something other than love. But love should be the distinguishing factor that points us out as a citizen of the kingdom of God. That is the way people should be able to look at us because it says that everyone should know. Everyone should know. They don't know I'm a Christian by the fact that I carry my Bible. That's not the way you identify a Christian. They're not supposed to know it because of the way I dressed Alone, because that's not the way you identify Christians. All religions got some kind of dress code. That don't mean you're a Christian. Just because you say, praise the Lord. Bless you, praise the Lord. That doesn't mean you're a Christian. You don't identify as a believer or citizen of the kingdom by those kind of little things we do. Coming on Sunday doesn't identify you as a believer. Reading the Bible doesn't identify you. Tithing doesn't identify you. According to Jesus, that's one way they you know you. That's by your love. Now, right here, I owe God an apology because I haven't paid attention to how I love. I've paid attention to how I act. Well, not I don't steal. I don't curse. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't go out. I don't drink. I've paid attention to those because those are religious requirements that may or may not mean anything. I know plenty of people who are not Christians who don't drink. I know plenty of people who are not Christians who don't curse. They believe in being kind. So what's the difference between me and you? If you don't curse and I don't curse, then what's the difference between me and you? Most Christians can't even answer that to a non-believer. The Bible is clear. The differentiator ought to be, the distinguisher should be that they can see my love. And that that love that I demonstrate should look totally different from their love. You with me? 
Come on, we should have a love check. <laughs> right? It's a good chance. You know how you check your pulse and stuff? We should have a love check. And if you're with me, you have to say, God, okay. I don't know how well my love has been identifiable. Because I could have been just blending in with everybody else with the things we do. I'm going to do Christmas the way we traditionally done it. There'll be no difference between me and the way I do Christmas and the way you do Christmas. Everywhere you go, saved or not, people tell you the stories of their Christmas and how much it was impacting them and their lives. So what should be the difference between yours and mine? Yours and theirs. Ours and theirs. What should be the difference? Man, have you ever thought about it before today? God, is love the only thing that's distinguishing me from the others? Or have you been just trying to isolate yourself and be different, act different, look different? That's okay. That's not necessarily wrong or bad. But if that's the only thing set on your part, it's not working. That's the challenge. Let's look at a couple things here. You tracking with me? You okay? All right. First of all, in John 17, Jesus said to them, they are not of the world. The word of is a prepositional phrase, meaning they are from it. They are not from the world. That means your origin is not from the earth. Your origin is not from the system of the world. If you are saved, you're born again. Your origin is in heaven. Your citizenship, therefore, is in heaven. You don't get into the kingdom of heaven by a green card. You're born into it. It's just who you are. Is that good? Just who you are, right? Your citizenship is in heaven, okay? Our distinguishing factor being love. But we have to ask ourselves, okay, Jesus, you told me love is a command. How do I love the way you love? In order to answer that, I have to answer, how did you love? Is that right? So what is love? I want to give you a couple of definitions. These are not in your book. If you look up the word agape, I've said this to you before. I want to simplify this, this portion of it, not to oversimplify love. So don't get mad at me if I ain't going that deep today, okay? Love, agape, means to prefer, to prefer something. Love is preference. God so preferred me. You with me? And I'm only simplifying it for this conversation. It involves a lot more. It's a complex thing. But the primary base of it is preference. What do you prefer? Do you prefer sleeping in or coming to church? What do you prefer? The comfort and convenience of your own home or helping someone else to find comfort and convenience? What do you prefer? What do you prefer? To be right or to let righteousness rule? What do you prefer? We could prefer just this little cozy thing we got right here. I prefer just like this where everybody knows everybody and we don't grow anymore outside of this. We just get better at being us. You could prefer that. Or you could prefer that we reach the world. Preference. Does that make any sense? He also says, if it's a command, it's what we must do. That also means it's our foreign mission. Foreign because I'm not from here. I'm in a strange place. This is the earth is not my home. I'm a, I'm a citizen of heaven. The world is a foreign place to citizens of heaven. We are pilgrims and sojourners. We're passing through. We're not trying to make this our permanent place. We're on a foreign mission. And it is my mission to love. He said, it's his command. Go do it. That's a mission. Go do it. Right? Is that right? You with me? I got one. Okay. I want to give you something else that I would say is a definition of love. The message. Love is a message. I'll prove that in a second. John 1, 3, and 11. You have your Bibles if you want to see it. 
it says, this is, what does it say? This is that you've heard that we, there's a couple things about our love that, that we get a clue from in this verse, okay? There's a couple of clues about how our love is distinguishable in this verse. Here's one. The message of love has to be enduring. One of the things that will set our, our love aside from the rest of the world is that our love is enduring. This message has been going since the beginning. It's been what God's been saying since the beginning. It's been what God's been doing since the beginning. The message of love has to endure from the first time it's said and heard all the way through. Love cannot be periodic, temporary, or momentarily. Does that make sense? It has to endure. When you look at that verse in John where Jesus told us that they may know, the word know is a sustained word. It's a profound, prolonged word. They know it means they always and continually know it. Does that make sense? Sometimes people get my love confused because I stop. I stop messaging it. My message is not enduring. Sometimes I pay no attention to my message. I may pay attention to what I say, but I don't pay attention to the message it delivers. I'll fix that in a minute. But he says, you and I, our love has to be something that starts and finishes. Does that make sense? It can't just be an occasional thing. That's the difference between us and the world. This is Christmas. Some folks are just now getting the gift ready. All year long, they did nothing. The homeless are homeless in January, February, March, April, May. They don't need something just in December. They're with you always. Hmm. Here's another one. How many have heard uh, the verse in 1 Corinthians? And this is not up there. Uh, where the Bible says, Do I speak with the tongues of men and angels? And have not love, I am become a sounding brass and a tickling cymbal. I'm a noisemaker. I want to know, I want to suggest to you one of the reasons he says that is because the rest of the world is a tickling cymbal. You and I shouldn't be. You see, he says, I give my body to be burned. I'm still nothing. I profit nothing. There's some folks giving their life to help folks that you and I ain't even involved in. But the difference is love underlining. Love is the source. Love is the supply. Love is the energy that drives the thing. Is that making sense? God is love. God is source. God is supply. Is that right? God under, underlines everything. The motive of life comes from God. Life doesn't happen without God. Is that right? So if that's love also, then love covers. It includes. It accounts for. It prefers or considers. It is the motive behind what we do. Making sense? I'm going to wrap it up and bring it together for you in a minute. I just want to make sure you're with me. Okay? 1 John 3 and 11 says, love is a message. It's communicated. Let me just ask you real quickly. Can love exist without communication? No? Why not, Bart? Mark, why not? It has to be expressed. What do you think? Can it exist without communication? Say again. So it has to have some form of communication. So love requires communication. So then let me ask the flip question. Is all communication communicating love? So is there ever a time when you are not communicating? Are you communicating now? 
what are you communicating now? You ever thought about that? If love has to be communicated and you're always communicating, but all communication is not love, what are you communicating when you're not communicating love? What are you saying to me now? I'm looking at you. <laughs> Hurry up, Tony. <laughs> uh, I'm tired. You're boring me. This doesn't matter to me. What are you saying to me now? If you're communicating, what parts of you are communicating right now? Eyes, ears, hands, body posture, everything. What are you saying right now? Is that what you mean to say? Are you deliberate in your current communication? Have you trained yourself in this way to communicate love? Always. Hmm. Or do you take your communication for granted, kind of passive, kind of slack sometimes? Because you're not thinking that someone is always hearing you. What they're hearing is really important. Communication is done not only verbally, but through signs and symbols. You with me? Luke chapter 2, off that scripture that uh, Brett quoted from Isaiah about unto you a child will be born, son will be given. Luke chapter 2 announces that. Anybody remember the announcement? The shepherds were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, right? And the angel came to them and said to them, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, right? He gave them the message. Then he said to them, go into Bethlehem, and this will be a sign to you. A sign followed the message. Come on, somebody. The Bible says of every believer, and these signs shall follow them. Maybe one reason God is not doing any miracles in our life today, because the sign wouldn't line up with what we're seeing every day. The sign... It's also a communication of the message. When they went to Bethlehem and saw the baby, they saw access. God has done something he promised to do. Something he said a long time ago, Isaiah, I will do this. Then the baby is born, God says, I've done it. See it? Does that make any sense? So the baby caused excitement. Not because of the baby, but because of the message that the baby signified. Does that make any sense? A sign is something that's put in place that cannot be argued, right? If the little eight-cornered sign, the red one, says stop, you can't argue what it says. You either obey it or you don't. However, if you take that sign down from the corner and put it on your wall in your house, it no longer applies. Why? Because it's out of context. I hold that we've taken some signs out of context. We've taken some things God is trying to say to us and put them in our house on our personal wall. And we're miscommunicating it now. Because in your room, it don't mean stop. The stop sign on the corner doesn't reply to an airplane. Signs are to be interpreted within their context. Does that make any sense? And they're only for that context. Symbols, however, are more complex. They carry more meaning. And they have to be interpreted. The problem with symbols is you can't interpret them without going to the originator of the symbol and find out what they intended. That make sense? The cross, symbol, right? But everybody don't know what it means. Everyone sees the cross, they know it's a symbol. Some think it's a symbol of this, some think it's a symbol of that. Some Christians think it's a symbol of something else, I don't know. But it's a symbol, right? How many married folks in the room? Okay, if you gave your spouse a ring, that's a symbol. Is that right? It's a message. Is that right? It's complex. It don't simply mean what the ring is, right? It goes well beyond the ring, right? It's a promise, a covenant of something. Is that right? 
a reminder of something bigger than I can express in any moment, right? But how many of you know it also connects to the daily signs you give? If you say the ring promises to love you and cherish you to death do us part, but you're not acting that way, you got a conflicting problem. Does that make sense? If you say this means you belong to me and I belong to you, but you're leaving me out, the message is not getting across. Does that make sense? The signs and the language and the symbols have to all line up to mean the same thing. You with me? Therefore, the message has to be enduring, but the message of love is communicated over space and time. Love is the only message you have to deliver it over and over and over and over and over again consistently. Otherwise, hate will take its place automatically. If you're not communicating love, you are automatically communicating something else. And I submit to you, there is nothing else but hate. If you're not communicating that you want me in, you're communicating you want me out. If you're not communicating that I'm important, then you're communicating I'm not important. If you're not communicating you want to hear me, then you are communicating you don't want to hear me. If, you are communi if you're not communicating that I matter, then you are communicating I don't matter. Does that make any sense? If you are not communicating you're enjoying this message, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Is it making any sense? More than anything, I want, you to, I want it to make sense. The most important thing, I think, when you hear the Word of God is you let it get inside of you, and you work on it. You let it work on you. I don't expect that each one of us will pop up and become this right now. This is the problem when you take a sign out of context. You start reading signs rather than understanding messages. You see, you can't tell when someone don't like you just by one sign. Communication of love has to be demonstrated through a string of things. Love is best communicated when it's undeserved. Romans 5 and 8 says, And God commended his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Love doesn't wait till you're ready for it. Love communicates to you in order to get you ready. Love is my preference for you, not my decision or my my evaluation of where you are and whether or not you deserve it. Love says you deserve it whether you recognize it or not. Love says I'm going to make it available to you whether or not you accept it. Love says to you, here it is, it's up to you and you're free to come and get it. But love don't do it in the moment and then stop. How do I know? I'm saved. Love pursued me over time. Love caught me when I was most undeserving and brought me in when I didn't deserve to be in. How many of you know that's true? If you love like God loves, you don't quit on people. You keep messaging love until they die or they get it. Come on, somebody. Love doesn't stop. The love of God in those qualities puts us in a place where we have to be deliberate and intentional about our love, purposeful and meaningful with our love, but consistent and persistent with our love because love has to endure. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there's prophecy, it will fade away. But love never fails. The difference between our love and the rest of the world's love, it never fails. Listen, it's not about whether or not it fails you. That's not the message. You're secure in Christ right now. If you're not feeling secure, that's why you can't love others right. Because when love is perfected, 
It drives out fear. How does God deal with people who are mean and hard? According to the word, he pours love. That's the difference between ours and theirs. You can't pour it unless you've allowed God to pour it into you. That's why it's automatic. Because in that verse in Thessalonians, it overflows you and I. He poured it in me so much, I can't help but overflow it into your lives. Does that make sense? So here's one challenge. Here's the challenge I want to say to you. You're here today, and you are a Christian. I see you. But man, do a love check. Have you really allowed God to pour into you the level of love he really wants to? You don't have to try to prove it to me or anybody. But if you are having a hard time pouring out love to others, it's most likely because you have not allowed him to pour completely into you. You don't grow in love as an act of the will. You grow in love as an act of the response of the will to the love God has poured into you. If you knew what it's like to be rejected and now you accept it, you have an easier time accepting other people. If you knew what it's like to be, dis, to be disregarded and discarded, and now God has brought you in and you have a family and you feel like you belong and you're part of something, then you would have a better understanding of what it's like for other people who've been discarded. Does that make sense? If you know the level of your sins, and how wretched you were and how much of a miracle it took to save you you would be able to give that kind of love to other folks who need saving if you knew the patience God had to have with you and maybe in some cases like mine still do then you'll know the patience it's gonna take for you to love that persons that God has put in your sphere of influence you don't measure off of one sign People reject you not because they don't want you or they hate you. They reject you because they are feeling unsafe, at risk. Whether it's at work or at home, stop just taking the signs, the one sign. Stop even going by the sign and go by the command God has given you and I at work, at home, and abroad. God has commanded you as your foreign mission to love others. Go beyond the feeling. And love. I'm saying, because I'm convicted by the message as I was even trying to prepare it, but I've not really paid attention to love, what I'm supposed to be doing. My mission in the world is simply to love one another. That's his command. I'm not saying it's all played out in that. I know there's much more in the act actions of it. But my words, my language, my efforts, Everything I do is symbolic or it's a sign. And I've not paid any attention to whether or not I'm messaging God's love to other people who see me. And wherever there's a deficit in me, I'm asking God to help me with it today. Wherever love is missed and I haven't accepted it very well, I'm asking God to fill that place up. And I want to invite you just where you are to pray with me if that's for you too. And if you know some folks who need love this season, I'm suggesting to you that the way you really reach them for Christ, the gift you really give, is, has to be a consistent message that maybe it starts today for you, but it has to continue through the year. 
Maybe it's been going and maybe you've kind of sometimes did and sometimes don't, but today you'll commit to being consistent so the message of Christ gets across clearly. Does that make sense? And you may know someone that's hard in your life to love, especially this time of year. You may know a challenge that God has called you to, but it's difficult because of whatever reason. I'm asking you if you're in the spirit and saying, yes, that's me too, and I want God to do a move in my life that way. All I want to do is where you are. We're just going to pray. Is that okay? But I do want to ask you to identify yourself. Only way I want to do that is just by lifting your hand and saying, that's me. And I want to make sure we include you in the prayer. Because seeing you is a sign. The act is a message. Okay? Not to embarrass, not to put anybody on the spot. But it's the way we communicate. Love has to be communicated intentionally. Purposefully. Does that make sense? So let me see your hand if that's you. Thank you. God, we stand before you in a world that's lost and afraid and hurting. People are suffering when we are in our comforts. There's so many things to be done, we can't do them all. There's so much need that we can't cover it. A lot of us, God, are even stopped by the fact that we have our own needs and they are not taken care of yet. We have our own shortages and we think to ourselves, God, when I get mine together, then I'll do more. God, this Christmas season, let it be a reminder to us of how much you've already poured out everything we need. And God, I admit, it's hard to trust. It's hard to know in this physical, tangible, fast-moving world. So much instability, so much thing we don't know. But yet our hearts can burn and long for much, much more than we experience in every day. You promised that you would supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Help us to reach that level of trust. Bring our hearts and our faith up to a place, God, where we know Beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are okay. Things are happening, sickness and lost and hurt. But give us your peace that we are okay. All is well. You said the storms will rage. But you still are our peace. I pray that you are our peace today, each individual person, and us collectively as the body. We're in the kingdom of peace. Help us to remember it. And God, fill up our love where we are missing and afraid and ashamed and embarrassed and hurt and we are weak and unwilling, God. Lord, have your way in us. We can't do it, God. We know it's not by our own ability. It'll take your power. 
God, pour, 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 pour love, God, into our empty places. Oh, God, we don't want to hide anymore. Be afraid. Be unsure. Seal us. You said that we have a confidence in you. Bring it out of us so that we can obey your command to love. And Lord, we put no more distinguishers in the way. We try not to identify ourselves in any other way except but to love. Those difficult people in our lives, we accept the challenge of loving them. Those difficult situations that bring about, it all has to do with people. Help us not to see the thing, but to see the people on our jobs, it's people. On the freeway, it's people. In our homes, in our neighborhoods, it's people. Thank you for reminding us that you love the world. You so loved that you had to respond in demonstration by giving. Help us to receive the full gift of Christ. Help us to grow, like Paul said, in our depth and our height and our breadth and our width of understanding and knowing the love that comes from God through Christ. Take us deeper, Lord. Let us practice with one another so that it be real when we get to the world. Help us to pay attention to our consistent message that it follows hard after you. Thank you for the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who will correct us and teach us and lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but it was a very convicting message for me. And it's something that I believe we can all work on every day. Uh, just a quick story that reminded me of yesterday. I went on a, a call as a chaplain uh, to a death of a, a gentleman. And as I was talking with uh, a couple of his adult children, the son uh, looked at me and he, he had tears in his eyes. And he said, Steve, he said, my dad and I had a stri very strained relationship for many years. He said, recently we were able to begin to heal that relationship. And he said, my dad died unexpectedly last night, but he said, the thing that's carrying me right now is the last thing I said to my dad last night was, Dad, I love you. And he said, I love you too. And he said, that is what right now is what I'm hanging on to and holding. And I think, what a powerful thing, that love. And, you know, we can allow things to strain relationships. And in our stubbornness, we can just say, well, I'm going to teach them a lesson or I'm not going to, whatever. But the power of love and the expression of it so something for all of us that we can take and go, man, this is so important. So Tony, thank you so much for that message. And, and, and I'll tell you, it's a lot to, to, to think about and pray about and, and, and put action to. But something we all can do, for sure. So thank you again. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 